Hey, DM podcast listeners, we will have a brand new episode for you next week, but today I wanted to bring something out of the vault because it's truly more relevant than ever. It's a conversation I had with Vinny Fisher all about fractionalized services. I really hope this episode inspires you to think of your business or agency or your expertise in a brand new light. I did want to mention one thing. If you check the show notes, we have a free training. It's called the Fractional CMO Playbook. I highly recommend checking it out. Ryan teaches it, and it's really going to teach you how to capitalize on the pivot to digital by launching your own outsourced CMO consulting practice. Again, that link is in the show notes, the Fractional CMO Playbook. For now, I'm going to let past Jenna get right on into it. Enjoy the episode, y'all. We'll see you with a new one next week. Thanks so much, you guys. This is Digital Marketer. This week, it's Vinny Fisher. Hello, and welcome to the Digital Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Snavely, and I'm also joined in today's interview by a co-host, the wonderful Garrett Dontremont. Garrett is our coaching manager at DM, a role built by his year spent in account management, helping to build success within the Certified Partner Program. I invited him along to help me interview Vinny Fisher. Vinny is the CEO of Fully Accountable, a fractional CFO service business. We talk all about the acceleration of digital and remote work in the last year, and Vinny really helps us understand why there's an oncoming fractionalized service gold rush, and which industries are seeing the boom. A lot of great stuff in this one today. I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Vinny, hello. Welcome to Marketer Podcast. I'm so excited to be here. I've been part of your family for so long. I, I, I feel like I probably should have my own office there someday when there's an office, but I love you guys. And thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we're excited. And I also want to introduce um, my co-host today, Garrett Dontremont. Hey, Garrett. Hello. How's it going? Stoked to be here, Vinny. Stoked to be on this interview with you. Well, I just want to kick it off and kind of help people understand first who you are and what your background is. So let's just dig into a little bit of that and then we'll then we'll get to the all the really exciting stuff. Yeah, you know, I'm a husband uh, this year of 25 years, so... In all the shots I've taken to damage our marriage, she has endured and stayed married to me. Uh, Debbie is uh, obviously a dear friend, the best friend I could have. And we've produced four children. Like we have four adults, teenagers in our home. So we're really busy family. That's probably the busiest thing we are in our life right now. And then, you know, I also have the privilege of um, leading an organization, actually multiple organizations in, in my role. And so I've grown up in digital marketing in the last 14 years. So I'm a lawyer by by discipline. I was a corporate and MA attorney, turn internet guy, late 06, early 07 was kind of the transition there. And I've been there ever since. And so we've had a couple great transitions of companies through the digital community. I've also broken a couple tragically, which led to the series of a few of my books, because people always love to read about those train wrecks. And then here we are, like, you know, we have a few tech companies now under our portfolio. We have an outsourced finance company that sits in our portfolio. And I'm a guy that leads teams, right? So now in my stage, 
seasons later, I work with the executive teams of our companies and that's what I do. Vinny, 14 years in this industry is a long time, right? Yeah. So I, I want to know what's changed in 14 years. You know what's uh, quite amazing? Things have cycled back around. For a younger version or someone who's new to the season of digital, some of the things that are cycling back in look new, but aren't necessarily new. So that's interesting because it's like watching clothes trends. Things are cycling back in. But interestingly, the number one thing that I'd say is very obvious that I also love is how the efficiency of technology keeps getting better constantly. And so open architecture is allowing for companies to be extremely efficient. I would have loved to have had that when we started. We had to build everything we wanted, right? Now I just find an open API and connect into something. And so to me, that's the most obvious change that allows us to work remotely, manage people, uh, to live in an environment. So the, the acceleration of the efficiency of tech is by far the best thing that's improved. And I'd say as a marketplace, the maturity of the digital space. So the maturity of the business person, I think your founder has always preached about how content authenticity is. I love to see now how that's really deepening in our space. And with this massive disruption of the way we do community over the last six months here, I think the the acceleration things that are going on are benefiting because of the advancement of tech and because of the quality of people who are trying to use the, the digital platform as a way to help change the world. We had a web hosting company back in circa 210, 213. Um, and I was always joking how like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if somebody would actually finish their experience from the mobile phone and check out? And like, we just couldn't get like adoption rates above like single digits. Like we just couldn't get there. And then fast forward, if you guys, you may or may not believe this, but Chrome wasn't this big search portal. The engine wasn't a thing. It was other stuff. Well, now flip it on its head. Most engagement starts in a mobile device, more than 80 some odd percent. And Chrome is a massive dominant player as it relates to the experience. And so the mobile friendliness and the ability to now check out right from this little device, which is like basically a phone I'm holding in my hand if you're only listening to us, is, is unbelievable. And so to like the ability to compete today and Amazon and tools that have allowed us to just click out on the shopping cart, it is seamless. I I find myself, it happened to me yesterday, I'll be honest with you. I conducted work, play, and shopping, and I never logged into my desktop, which is my laptop. I did it all from my phone. And this morning, I thought to myself, whoa, I literally never touched my computer yesterday, and I felt extremely productive without any disruption. And I think that's what's actually happening right now in our marketplace, that consumer buying behavior is so integrated that... And now that we're forced to do it, I, I think we're just advancing that much faster in behavioral normalcy off the shopping cart being a digital thing as opposed to not shout out Target, but running to Target. And I think as companies, if we don't actually, and, I, and your digital market has been amazing at this, like, and as I've grown up 
uh, as friends with the founders and we've done digital life together. Companies like DM who stay on the front edge, our front edge is changing. Like we have to embrace that the buying behavior is becoming normal and direct to consumer. Like we've advanced so much in years because of the, the way we have been forced to do that over the last six months. So even companies that lead the front edge that we would be accused of and DM would be accused of, like we're going to have to even think about a new front edge to that because what was once, you know, crazy, like we still work on the internet is becoming normal before our eyes. Yeah. And I know a lot of companies are moving to to that remote first mentality. It's something that we've just recently done and we've made, I think, four new hires, totally remote for the first time ever. So not only are people learning how to buy online, but people are learning how to do work online when before they maybe didn't trust it as much. You know, I was just reading an article here recently, I, I think as soon as yesterday, that came out in the Wall Street Journal about CEO's perspective as it relates to work from home. And I think that what's interesting in some of the studies that are being done right now is that it, it's everyone has to be honest and admit that a full remote work from home is going to miss on networking, relationship, people. So somewhere along the way, we're going to have to figure out the mix because most younger workers, which is the majority of the workforce now, are saying, wait a minute, I need a, a hybrid. I can't do all at home. I got to have a little bit of both. And I think we're going to have to figure that out. But what's really interesting, I was reading this article of CEOs and the CEO of Rite Aid, I can't think of her name right now. She made a really interesting comment that I think is very relevant to this idea of remote and even outsourced type of work. Certain things can't be changed in cultural stuff by doing digital and remote. We're going to have to live with some of those struggles. But it has opened her eyes to the idea of hiring people in other places where she might have said before, hey, we'll hire the best people regardless of where they are and we'll figure it out. Now she's like, we'll just hire the best people. The idea of figuring it out, we're figuring it out or we're figuring it out. So adding that as a negative that they work somewhere else is going away. And so I think organizations are are going to be challenged in a good way to say, wait a minute, what's the core? What's our nucleus? What part of that do we want to keep kind of close to the hub? And what other parts of the organization can be as remote and, and best place positioned regardless of location? And I think that's actually the next thing that should have been happening that actually has been thrust upon us. I want to ask something because you just mentioned that you spent the entire workday on your phone yesterday. So how has that change where you can operate so well on your mobile and and do that, but you can also uh, work remote. So tell me a little bit about that synergy between those tools and and kind of your ability to work remote. You know, I, I want to put a little qualifier on it, right? I am the chief executive, chairman and CEO in, in, in my thing. So my day-to-day work productivity of the requirement to produce stuff for clients and team and deliver sales that happens by other people. So most of my energy is spent helping to give our management team, our executive team and up guidance, advice, be available, look and work on new things. So maybe from my perspective, I can pull off 
a little bit less part of the production part, which I think is still a little tough to pull up on a mobile device. So in all fairness, I want to put that qualifier. <laughs> but, you know, with that said, I still, you know, I was just reading an article this morning about work from home and how there's this movement among cities, large metro moving to medium-sized metro. And what's interesting is San Francisco, New York, Portland, we can, let's get rid of the political drama, but they're all down 20% plus on inflow of young people moving into those metros. Interestingly, Milwaukee, Cleveland are places that are seeing upticks. And because I think it's obvious, I think that there's this interesting discussion that's happening around work from home that says, wait a minute, I might be able to get a better bang for my buck living somewhere else. I might be able to get some lifestyle things I want that otherwise I needed to live in an urban area to be able to not have a car, not have a certain, like live centrically located to my office space. What's interesting, when you take that a ring out, now people are like, wait a minute, if I can log into a computer and work remotely all day long and still produce an acceptable amount of production that the company's willing to live with, well, then why do I got to live there? And all of a sudden, that starts trickling out where company CEOs say, hold on a second, I only need this part to make it really work effectively on creativity, networking, culture. The rest of it, could I be more efficient and win back more margin in my company? Can I actually deploy my experts in other areas? And I think you're starting to see a displacement of how work from home, remote, corporate, and what that hybrid is going to start to look like as it relates to kind of this new definition of how we do work. So you, Vinny, you know, you're obviously the CEO of your company, right? You're, yep. You are the, the executive leader. So, you know, I, we have, our audience here is a lot of, uh, of, of C-suite people. You know, we have executive yep. leaders, you know, people that have started their own small business. How has leading those teams and and you know just just being ex- an executive changed you know since the pandemic and and maybe even heading into it i got to tell you something i say three things at our stand up meeting you know we have on, under our combined organizations i don't know 100 140 some odd people on our payroll systems and here are the things i'm saying in those bubbles that are that are accurate and I'm saying it in some settings and not others, but I'm being honest, I'm going to be as transparent as possible here, uh, fully transparent. That's how I live life. But I, it's the hardest stage of leadership that I can remember having in my career. It's also been the most rewarding, growing, challenging. I think three things. One, in the absence of leadership, people will follow anyone. And so now more than ever, leadership is critical. Two, for me personally, the way the Lord's built me is I draft off people. So the digital stuff, like I need a little bit like show up, hug, kind of be together. I need a little bit of both. I've had to work really hard at that and not allow that missing part to impact us. And probably the most important thing, the third thing I'm going to refer to is I've actually recognized a need for kindness, empathy, and compassion from my position and accepting someone in the position they are. So one of the things that's changed or improved in our organizations is meeting someone who's where the least amount or the most diminished person is on our team. So for example, we would normally have 
companies-wide retreat where everyone would come in. Because we weren't really ready for that, and some people just weren't comfortable, and other people were in unique situations where maybe mom at home is immune diminished. And normally in the past, I'd say stuff like, get here, deal with it, got to be together. And this year I said, you know, why don't we do the whole thing virtual? Why don't we meet everyone where they are so they don't feel like they're letting down Vinny and the executive team by not being here? Why don't we meet them where they are? Make it the best version of that event we can make it be. And what can we do to embrace the things that where our, where everyone as a community is right now versus roll out my own agenda and be bothered by the, the ever developing things that are going on. So I think like if you're not a C-suite exec, like being more attentive to the, the, the cultural pushback that's happening in our community, I think you're kind of like decided to take a few months off or something. I don't know. Like, like there's a lot of that going on. And so I'm thankful to be using my words and like talking to everybody and encouraging them and, and instead of saying we're going to get through this, what are we doing now? What are we what are what are we learning from this? Not like someday we're going to arrive. We're here. Like what are we doing now? Like let's 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 check in on isolation. Let's like let's let's check productivity under this paradigm, not wishing for some new version of the paradigm. Man, yeah, it's so important to to be where you are and yeah, of course think of the future, but the future is so unknowable right now that you can only imagine what what is because whatever it was before is just that's not where we're headed. Yeah, no, you know what I'm really amazingly convinced about with that that I think is the core breakdown of this whole thing. We have removed routine. Every day you're waking up and you're kind of guessing like, what am I supposed to do? Like my routine has been taken from me. Nine to five is a legit routine. And going here, coming here, doing that, like no matter if you're as free spirited as me or structured as someone who's OCD in their life, either scenario, people rely on routine. And the reason why we're watching our community as a whole lose their minds, a big part of that is we've removed routine from the structure. And do I think we have some serious community and cultural things going on? Yes, I don't want to diminish those things. But at the same time, a little more structure, you will watch people fall into a routine and probably enjoy their life a little more because they, they don't have to wake up every day getting permission to try to create a new routine. Has that routine changed the the buying behavior of your consumers at all, do you feel? Absolutely. They're more, there's more adoption absolutely online. You know, if you read any study right now, it'll show that we are we are existing in what would have been 2022, 2023, and maybe in some cases what you're reading, 2024 numbers of behavior direct to consumer online. So in almost every category, unique circumstances aside, tech and digital and the behavior of buying is because of habit. They're being everyone's being asked to buy online. And so it's becoming a habit. And so whatever theory you follow in sociology of how long it takes for a habit to start to become normal in someone's life. The reality is we're way past those days. We're 190 some odd days into behavior that requires uh, us to look to buying online. And it's becoming ridiculously normal. 
you go back 100 and 200 days ago and everyone was still like, oh, that's cute. You play on the internet. How nice. That party has changed. Hey, DM listeners. Did you know that you can generate leads from Instagram without using any landing pages or websites? If you're not sure what I'm talking about, Instagram actually allows businesses and influencers to set up automations to automatically capture leads through the Instagram inbox. So this means that you can generate leads for your business all using 100% automated Instagram messages. And the good news is our friends at Bot Builders can show you exactly how to do it. They're an industry leader, and these guys have landed some of the biggest clients in the world. So if you want to learn how to use Instagram automation to generate leads, go check out their free training at botwebinar.com. They'll show you exactly how it works. You'll see a live demo and also how you can start using their pre-built templates to start going after big clients yourself. Once again, that's botwebinar.com. You know, I I know a lot of leaders, founders, C-suite people are listening right now and they're like, yeah, remote, we're going to hire, you know, all the, all the positions that we would outsource. We just want to hire those people. They'll work remote. That's the easiest place to start. You know, kind of, kind of those lower tier, like just producers, just getting stuff done. But I know that you have experience in something totally different that is, you know, above and beyond what a lot of people are doing. I'd love to hear about what it is. I actually think a lot of the opposite is happening. And what I mean by that is the work from home disruption has what I would encourage everyone to look at is we've always were raised to believe that you needed your team around you, your best part of your team was around you. And so we had this mentality to hire in the corporate office. And so I, I want to shout out a gift that I'm going to give to everybody at fullyaccountable.com forward slash digital marketer podcast. I've built a whole page and some tools on how to figure out remote working and stuff. And the reason I'm bringing that up is I wrote a book literally four years ago called The CEO's Mindset where I started talking about this idea and it's yours. Just go in there, go get it. We're happy to send it to you with all the little fun stuff that comes from our media team. We'd love for you to at least read the first chapter because in there, you're going to start to understand my mind and heart and the CEO's C-suite mindset around this idea of outsourcing. There are like six core parts to a company. If you really kind of try to break those down, what I talk about and what I want everyone to have a vision around is each company has a heartbeat. It's got like this centralized nucleus. That's probably like your CEO, your COO. And that those people are usually a marketer, process person. They kind of work as a unit. Every other part to the company, depending on the nature and extent of your company, can actually have a distant relationship because the market, a free market, tends to be more efficient. So Jenna, when you said earlier, like, oh, ordering online and, you know, it's it's more efficient. Well, the market is creating another round of efficiency. And one of them is this idea that as an executive, I can go buy a fractional service like from DM with a chief marketing officer. I can get an expert hour one without having a large team of rank and file people trying to grow up. And I can hit the ground running in my organization at a cost that you can't duplicate internally with resources that would cost so much money to replace. So time, money, and resources 
are a new player. I'll tell you, for us at Fully Accountable, the number one objection since the beginning we've been a company has always been, oh, I'd love to have our CFO in our building. It'd be great to have our team. Well, fast forward to where we are now, that objection's gone. Now it's about time, money, and resources. How can I buy back time as a sweet, sweet executive? Where can I best spend my money because I'm looking at my budget differently? And what are the resources that someone else who would bring that outsource component to the table going to far exceed anything I would build internally? And now all of a sudden, this idea like kind of homegrown, make your team, build it, like somehow that's more valuable, that is in play. Now that that theory is probably being questioned and, and in some cases, probably not true. Yeah. You know, earlier when I had made that comment about the CEO of Rite Aid and she was like, we want to hire the best people and figure out where they are work on locations. I think if we take that mindset, we trickle it down through this fractionalized outsourcing concept. Since now, you know, woke C-suite executives are realizing that it's not all just about the office. There's an acceptable level of productivity that can be pulled off remotely. Well, then if that's true, then a paradigm shift happens where maybe I can buy expertise more efficiently if I take out the reality that I need to have them in my building. And that changes. If that's true, I don't need them. Then why do I have to hire a remote worker when I could actually partner up with a and, and use a relationship with a fractional relationship with a team that gets me a better use of my dollars and running faster? Well, all of a sudden, if it's not a in the office thing, now you're starting to evaluate expertise, not just someone on your team, so to speak. Right. I'd like to kind of take a take a little step back here because yep. I I'd, I'd like to define what these fractionalized services are, you know, like yeah. how, how how do you provide them? What are they, you know? I I know it's something that you focus on, something that we focus on, but maybe for those of you uh, out there who who haven't heard of fractionalized services, how do you define that, Vinny? Yeah. Yep, it's it's a part of your company that is outsourced that another company runs for you. So classic example that everyone in digital would immediately understand would be uh, third-party logistics. Another company is shipping your product for you. Your product lands there in their building. They stick the label on it. They put the box out and out they ship it. You're paying a functional cost either per product or a wage labor to somebody else to do that work for you. Well, that's now true in other categories. It's going to be really hard to fractionalize the CEO and founder. Just going to be tough, right? You need someone who's going to love that business. It's going to be really hard to fractionalize the person who wakes up caring about that business the most. Typically, we would call that the COO. Hard roles to fractionalize. But now, look at the other areas of the company. You have customer service. You have sales and marketing. You have back office finance, those categories. So you fast forward back to the last correction we had, and it was 2008 was tough. The tech wasn't here. So as a category, accounting and finance really wasn't eligible to outsource during that phase because tech didn't catch up. But now fully accountable, our fractional CFO, fractional controller service, every month we are having record growth month because Really quickly, these e-commerce brands 
recognize, holy cow, I don't need four people in my office doing where I can buy a fractionalized component where they one third or one fifth or one eighth of the cost can be done by somebody else way more efficiently, better, and produce us a better result. All of a sudden, you start looking at departments with a profit center mindset, not a production mindset. And so you look at it having a fractionalized agency, a CMO, do work for you. Well, if if they can produce the result of acquiring or helping to reacquire the customer and fit the budget better than you could if you built it yourself, well, you 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 as a C-suite executive are like you have to start really honestly evaluating that. And so as a service, those categories, we almost think about it in customer service and shipping. Like, oh yeah, we've been doing that for years. So let's outsource those. Well, now marketing, sales, and back office, because of tech and because of this attitude to where the expert sits, are all officially in play and are thriving. And so if you guys are like us, we're like, in a great way, exploding at every scene. Like we're we're going to double in size. We're the industry leader and we're going to double in size again because the market is responding and saying, we want experts no matter where they're sitting. When when you work with somebody and and take them on as a as a as a fractional CFO, right? Yeah. How do you how, what what's the synergy between you and 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 say somebody on their internal accounting team? Do they have one or you know how how does that work? Yeah, we always love if Mary's there. Mary's been this nice lady who started doing the bookkeeping, who's been asked to do a lot more, almost turns into like the office manager, jack of every trade. Every office has Mary, right? And we say we love Mary. Mary's been asked, the company has grown beyond what Mary was signing up to do. And so we love Mary. One of the things I would encourage everyone to think about when fractionalized service, there's a component of that fraction that's in your company. And so I would encourage you to think this way. It's like an onboarding of, of, of a new team member. You're going to give someone a 90-day window to onboard, right? You're going to help them. They're going to get trained. Well, you should have that same attitude with your relationship. Now, experts in a category probably onboard a lot faster because they don't need to catch up to speed of certain things. But we love it when there's someone in the building. We get it in all sizes and shapes. We just brought on a $10 million brand the other day. They have nothing other than like a Google spreadsheet. You say to yourself, how do you get that big off a Google spreadsheet? Because what gets you to seven and eight figures is not what's going to get you from there into the next phase. And so we work this habit of getting there. And then we got to redo our habit in the next chunk of how we grow as a company. And so I encourage everybody right now, just, just think about onboarding. For us, we say, give us 30, and in some extreme cases, 60 days to work into your cultural part as we become experts running your back office. And then we just love Mary because Mary's still going to be there for that founder and operator who like need to like have Mary around. Right. And so we love that, but Mary's in a role she shouldn't be. And that happens a lot, both in marketing and finance. You start doing something, an offer clicks off or you start getting a lot of transactions. And in both of those departments, that person is playing in a role that otherwise he or she actually didn't sign up for and is feeling a massive burden to succeed when an outsourced resource can come in and make Mary so much more productive. And that's what we see. 
So it's really making Mary's life a, a little more easy, you know, and, and, but y'all are working together in that sense. And before the C-suite person was like, yeah, outsourced in the building. And Mary was freaked out. Like, I'm going to lose my job. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the language patterns around like, Ooh, maybe they're going to be better now because everyone's realizing there's a remote component to it. And we fill a lane. It's like filling a role from Cleveland for someone in Austin. Like it's just, it's, it's starting to become very natural. So Mary is not worried about whether or not a Cleveland person is going to displace. She has a necessary role on the team. So really what people need to focus on is do we have good people without roles? Like, do we just have somebody good to work themselves into a jack of all trades? And we don't actually know what Mary does in this case. Well, what can we do to redeploy Mary in a way that's the most effective for the company? Now we're not so worried about in the building or out of the building. You actually just want good, productive roles. And quite honestly, if you're doing your C-suite job correctly, people who don't have roles usually don't have roles very long. So do you help give some direction there? To our team? Yeah, to, absolutely. To your team, to anytime you go in and 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 maybe you're working with a Mary, right? Do you help provide some direction to that person or to the Absolutely. Support? If you you do this as a CMO and, and I'm sure I could kind of turn the tables, but we have to do this, right? One, because they don't have um, a, a category of process, language around it, importance, focus on how to have a departmental mindset around that part of the company. They've just been like making it up as they go. So the problem is they have no relationship to understand what they actually could be doing as the highest and best use for the company. So in our category, the back office, we are always shepherding Mary into the role, always. And what we'll find out nine out of 10 times, this founder, the the operator, love Mary. She's just drifting and she needs the spot where she belongs. Now, one out of 10 times, maybe 1.5 out of 10 times, Mary needs to cycle out. And the introduction of another of a departmental mindset helps with that. But that is 100% always an issue, whether you're top grading or improving the department. So we see that in both our marketing stuff where we watch other clients have this reality as, as they mature their growth departments in marketing and sales. And for sure, we see it every day in back office infrastructure as you run your accounting and finance. So I know there are most likely a lot of a lot of people listening thinking, how do I get into this? Because it sounds like a really great opportunity. I, I love it. How does someone start not only looking into it, what do they want to do? What do they start exploring? And so I'm going to go back to that gift page for fullyaccountable.com forward slash digital marketer podcast. On there, I've created resources about the idea of where to effectively outsource. When What things are effective in outsourcing? I would encourage you to read that because here, and, and things like that. And here's why. Because like, What's interesting is things have changed and it requires us to look at the efficiency of the marketplace and our company differently. So why would somebody want to think about fractionalizing their accounting and finance? Well, in our category, if you're doing a million in revenue and you have all these complex parts, you would want to have a fractional CFO and or controller on your team with high expertise living in our marketplace, helping you 
be massively more efficient at winning profit margin. The next stage of direct-to-consumer, what got us into this stage was buy a customer at every cost, disrupt the place, and hope someday you could hold on long enough with cash flow to make it. That part is changing. If you are cash flow mindset centric, you're going to get run over by the companies that have the cash flow to survive. I've heard Ryan Dice say so many times, I probably should have this tattoo. Whoever can spend the most to acquire the customer wins. I've heard that so many times from him. That's true. But whoever can actually efficiently actually have the right margin for the type of industry they're in, they're going to outlast the competitive landscape of the people who are insufficiently capitalized to thrive. And so where is a category when someone should be thinking about fractionalizing? I think all of it's in play. If you're, you need to be a C-suite executive of a seven-figure company looking at your biggest holes. And to me, you can't hit the ground running any faster than going out and fractionalizing your CMO or your CFO. It's time to upgrade as you upgrade. Like you can't do the habits that got you into seven figures, expecting those to be the same ones that get you into eight and deep bigger profit margins. And so to me, what would I do? As I would start being very open to the reality that an outsourced team is probably the best thing you can add to your company as you expand and grow. And so if you want to learn more about that, go take advantage of our page. Go take advantage of reading that. You can learn always more about us. You just go to fullyaccountable.com. We have a thing called We Care at Fully Accountable. It's an email. And you can go there. You can write your question. You can ask. We don't need to work with everybody. We work with the people we're supposed to work with. But we're on this mission to help every company recognize that if you really want to double your profit margin, you're going to have to do some things differently of what got you to where you are versus where you're going to go. Yeah. So your expertise is is in the financial space, right? So yeah. Yep. <laughs> fully accountable handles. Of yes. There you go. There you go. Okay. Yep. Uh, so what, What's the the thing right now that people should be looking out for in in their financial space? I, I, you alluded to it, I think at least something in in the in the previous answer, which was cash. But you know, what are kind of some of the things that as we move to direct consumer economy, what what should the accounting department of businesses be looking out for? I think it's got to start first and foremost. See, the, the problem is when, when you first start your businesses, you have like this expense mindset. Like, what can I do to keep money just to make it to seven figures? The reality is, if you don't switch in every category and have a profit center mindset, then you're not really running the company with a proper perspective of how to manage cash flow. And I think actually there's a bigger thing in play first about outsourcing. Let's just be real. For the last few years, I've watched the marketplace sell automation and sell kind of like this idea of a dashboard mentality. And everyone's like trying to act like artificial intelligence and everything's done for you. That's actually not really what's happening. You need to actually categorize the efficiency of spending money on people with expertise. And so I think first and foremost, if the C-suite doesn't have a mindset of having experts categorized in areas, you're going to look to accounting and bookkeeping as bookkeeping. 
you're not going to look to it as a way to defend profit margin. Like literally that has to start there. And so what does that allow you to do? If you have a lot of transactions running through your company, what are you doing to have somebody see those every day? Who is actually the defender and creator of an established baseline of profit margin and where you need to be? One of the things that happened to me that started Fully Accountable, it seems like dinosaur years ago of the 2014 when this all happened, was I was running a health supplement company that we built. We were doing eight figures in revenue, making 8% margin when we should have actually, as an industry category, doing about 20%. And it wasn't until this first version of Fully Accountable Earth in my mind where I realized, and I know this sounds so basic, but C-suite people hear me out. It One day I woke up and realized, it's not about how much revenue I bring in. It's about what we keep. And all of a sudden, like instead of being like happy with or whatever the number would be, about 8% coming in, I was disappointed about the spread between 20% and 8%. And all of a sudden, I started having a bottom of the financial statement attitude, not just a top of it. Don't get me wrong. I love gross revenue. I wake up every day wanting more of it. But I've also learned the discipline as one of the leaders, if I don't care about defending the bottom, who does? And so a CFO's job, only job, is to do everything from the filter of defend profit and profit margin. And so if you don't have that on your team, man, I don't know how you're going to go be big boy, big girl in the space you're in without actually having a profit center mindset. I love the category. Even though our last correction, it wasn't there. There's a there's, a, there's another thing being exposed in the marketplace. There's people claiming a level of expertise that's a grade above what they really are. Like in my space, there are people who are bookkeepers calling themselves controllers. There are controllers calling themselves CFOs. And that's actually being exposed now with, with efficiencies. But I've seen that more prevalent in the marketing side where people are, are calling themselves a fractional chief marketing officer when at best, They might be a data analyst running the Facebook page. And so Mm -hmm. what I'm noticing is that if if, if we want to help people is recognize the difference in expertise as you fill in the marketplace, it's not a size fits all. And so I would encourage people that be careful if you pay for a low dollar service expecting a high result. You know, the number one expense in commerce digitally is the acquisition of a customer on average. 42 cents of every dollar spent is spent acquiring or reacquiring a customer. And so if you have a cheapening attitude towards your marketing department in the most expensive category, well, I'm here to tell you, you're going to get what you expect. Like if you want a cheap out result, you're going to get a cheap thing. Well, that's true in finance and marketing and sales right now. And so I would encourage everyone that buying something fractionally probably gets you the access you want in the most impactful departments in your company. Man, yeah. That's like a mic drop moment. Yeah. It's real. It's where we're living. Well, y'all, this is such an awesome conversation. I learned so much about fractionalized services and finance. Yeah, this is just absolutely awesome. And thank you so much for your time today and for for being here. And uh, for everyone... You out there listening right now, it means so much to have a little bit of your day each week. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. Thanks for having me. Adios.
Hey, DM listeners, if you're running a Black Friday or Cyber Monday special, listen up, because Digital Marketer just released our Canva holiday promo pack. It includes almost 200 templates that you can use to make the graphics for all your upcoming holiday specials and three unique design themes for each holiday. The promo pack is usually $27, but you can get it today for free. Check the show notes for the link to download, or you can go directly to digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates. That's digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates.